Well, good morning, church. Um, yeah, we do not, it's not that we have exciting staff meetings, but I had some surgery on my hand, and uh, David, thank you for your, your prayers for that. Um, kind of awkward being a one-hander here. But, uh, <laughs> well, after uh, finishing up my prayer retreat last fall at the Community of the Cross in Black Mountain, I was... Uh, I was hiking out uh, on one of the upper trails, and I was coming around a big bend, and, and I noticed this steep uh, hill to my right, and as I looked up there, there was a, a patch of sunlight, and I thought, oh, there must be some kind of bald up there, and, and uh, maybe there's a, a place to, to you know, see some of the, the, the mountains above. And uh, so I, I thought, I'm going to hike up. You know, I hiked up about 200 feet or so, and... Uh, Five minutes bushwhacking. Well, there was no, there was no clearing. Uh, the hill kept going. And I thought, you know, kind of adventuresome. I'd, I'd like to see what's up here. <laughs> so I kept hiking, and uh, eventually it flattened out, uh, and it was kind of a round area. And I poked around a little bit. No clearing. It was just deep woods. Uh, and I thought, well, I better get back down. And so I, I came back down to intersect the trail I'd left. And after about ten minutes of hiking. There was no trail. Um, in fact, I was in some very unfamiliar thick brush, and I was at the top of a ravine that I did not climb up through getting up there. And I realized I had gotten turned around on the top of this round and come off almost the direct opposite side of, of the hill from where I'd come up. I had no idea where I was. I figured. Am I, I, I might be in the reservoir. I don't know. I might be in somebody's, you know, you know, back 40 or something. I'm going to get shot. I don't know. Uh, well, needless to say, I was a bit disturbed, a bit frightened. I sat down and I was praying, Lord, what am I going to do? How do I get out of here? And as I was fretting and fearing, um, Suddenly, the Lord reminded me of uh, Boy Scout training uh, years back, and so I got very quiet to listen, and I could hear water, and I knew that's the river that flows out of the reservoir and into the community of the cross property where I need to be. And so I began uh, my rather comical uh, crawl through very thick rhododendron. I had a backpack on that I had to take off and you know, push through and then slither under uh, the rhododendron uh, until finally I got to the river. And I jumped in and I walked through the waterway back to the COC, never so happy to see familiar territory as when I finally stepped ashore. When we're in the wilderness, there, there are ways of orienting ourselves to find our direction. Well, what about when we're in the wilderness of suffering? Suffering, trial, hardship can be extremely disorienting to us. Our minds become flooded with, with questions and fears. We can feel panicked and, uh, you know, what am I going to do here? Well, in Hebrews 12, these followers of Jesus were dealing with the wilderness of suffering uh, they had not died for their faith, but they had suffered the loss of property. Uh, they had been beaten, mocked. Some had been imprisoned. 
And there was a, there was a sense in this, this faith community, uh, a wondering, is Jesus, is Jesus worth it? Maybe the way out of this persecution and suffering is to go back to Judaism, back to the law for refuge. And the author of Hebrews is writing and he's just been saying throughout, no, 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 Jesus is better than anything you can go back to. And in chapter 11, he, he writes about all these, these great saints of old who, who made it through the wilderness of this world by faith. Ultimately, the faith in Jesus, the promised one of God. And he says, keep running as they did. And now in our passage today, uh, he, he helps reorient them in their suffering so that they can endure and not grow weary and faint-hearted. And so let's, let's look at this reorienting uh, that our, our author encourages us uh, with as well. From Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. When we find ourselves in a wilderness of trial or suffering, hardship, uh, it's very easy to grow faint-hearted. We we can turn inward, uh, we can get uh, resentful, uh, full of self-pity, And so that we don't go in that direction, our author encourages us to reorient ourselves. And one of the things we reorient ourselves to is the Father's love. The Father's love. Verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Verse 7, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I think the the surprising element in this, perhaps, is is that our suffering is actually used by the Lord as discipline in our lives. Now, don't miss that. Don't don't ignore the difficult things in your life as though they were some random thing to have to get past, some barrier in the way of the life that you really want. God is in control of this universe. And that includes the trials and the hardships of our lives. He is at work in them 
And he's using them in our lives for good. We're gonna look at the good in a moment here, but, but it is his discipline and this entire thing is coming, flowing out of a heart of, of love for us. Now that plays with our heads, doesn't it? Because it doesn't feel like love. When trials, when we're overwhelmed with trials, we're overwhelmed with thoughts like God hates me. God's mad at me, he's angry, he's against me, he's failed me perhaps, that's why all this is happening. And every one of those is a lie. Those are lies. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. In fact, if the Lord does not discipline us, verse eight, we're illegitimate children, we're not sons. I mean, if you're watching your children on a playground, and uh, let's say your son pushes your daughter down. Well, you address that. You, you discipline. You, you bring instruction to your son on not how to play nicely. But let's say some other parents' kids, these other kids, they're not yours, uh, they're fighting. Well, you're not going to intervene in that because they're not your kids. They're not your own. You know, being disciplined actually validates the fact that we are God's children and that he loves us. In verses one through three, which we looked at last week, we saw how life is a race. And if you're a runner, you know, what, what do you need? Well, maybe you need a coach. <laughs> but in verses five through 11, the metaphor is God is not our coach. He's not your coach. He's your father. He's a father who loves you. This is far more relational and intimate. And how important to reorient ourselves to this when trials come. I mean, but, but not like kids who roll their eyes and say, I don't need this. I don't need to listen to you. you know. When we do that, we end up resenting God, getting an attitude. Instead, we are to reorient ourselves to who God is as our Father in heaven, and you are his son, you are his daughter, and he will not treat you as anything other. As strange as this sounds, when you suffer, it is because you are his child, you are dear, you are precious to him. Cling to that, his love. Otherwise, you will be lost in the wilderness of suffering with a double trial, the trial at hand and the trial of doubting the Father's love. But you have that. His love is yours through Jesus. Receive it, own it. It is your great comfort in trial. But secondly, our, our author encourages us when we're going through the wilderness of suffering and trial. He encourages us to reorient ourselves to the Father's end, the Father's end, and his end is our good. Verse 10, that we may share in his holiness. Verse 11, that we may yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, the, word, the word discipline appears uh, something like 10 times, or it's referenced 10 times in this passage. I mean, it's what this passage is about. And uh, in our minds, we associate discipline with, oh, I've been bad. I've messed up and God is spanking me. But in the context of Hebrews 12, these Christians had not done anything wrong. 
In fact, they'd done everything right. They were trusting Jesus. They were worshiping the Lord. And it was the culture around them that was coming after them because of that. Now, God may discipline us because we sin. But you know, even in that, it is never tit for tat. It is never retributive payback. How do we know? Because Jesus Christ endured the cross for our sakes. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This word discipline carries the idea of teaching, not spanking. It is not to bring judgment, but training that a child may flourish. You know, for for a child to grow and to become a productive human being, um, there has to be discipline in that child's life. Uh, they have to be trained. You know, it begins with potty training, right? <laughs> and then there's the training through chores, you know, how to be responsible. Uh, there's training through education. There's training, uh, discipline to say no to things, yes to things. But how to be a responsible, how to grow up and be responsible. Well, a parent brings instruction and correction, and it may be painful at times, but it leads to that child's flourishing. Well, God is ever only out for our good, that we may flourish in Jesus. And flourishing is sharing in his holiness and yielding the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, you might hear those words, sharing his holiness, yielding the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Those are Bible words, you know. (laughs) Boring, you you know. That doesn't sound really appealing, does it? Let me ask you something. What, what, if, what if what you think your life is about is not really what life is about? What if what you think your life is about, this is, this is what would make my life great, is not really about that at all? We tend to think that life is about maximizing happiness. And we go at it hard, don't we? I want to get the right job so I can, I can live this kind of life. I want to you know, get out of that relationship so I can get into this relationship. And, and we just have this map for how to maximize happiness in our lives. But what if God said life was about something else than maximizing happiness? C.S. Lewis talks about how we're, we're, we're like children playing in mud puddles because we can't imagine what a vacation at the, at the seashore is like. We're far too easily pleased. Well, the truth is God knows what life is, what real life is, and he is using everything in life to get us to the seashore. And he uses trials, hardships, sufferings as, as the discipline to get us to that place. And of course, for us, the difficulty is, well, why does it have to be this way? Why, why does he have to use suffering as a means of discipline to, to get us to, uh, to the life that really is life? David Brooks, in a New York Times article on what suffering does, writes about how we, we are awash in happiness. We live in a culture obsessed with happiness. Every year, thousands and thousands of books uh, are released on the topic. But an interesting phenomenon that he notes is that when people talk about their lives and they talk about the past in particular, they usually don't talk about their happiness. They talk about their ordeals. 
that were most significant to them. Brooks says, we shoot for happiness, but we're formed through suffering. Well, this is a reality. And God forms and transforms us through the discipline of suffering and trial. It just doesn't happen any other way. Liberal theologian Paul Tillich said years ago, something to the effect that suffering smashes through the floor of the world that we've constructed for ourselves and the personality that we thought we were revealing an area below. And then it smashes through that floor and then another floor until we're in this basement, unfamiliar room, uncertain really of who we are or even where we are. And the only thing that can fill and heal and transform is the Lord. Well, this is the discipline of the Lord. He's tearing down worlds of our own making that he may erect his in our lives. He is stripping away the facade of the person we thought we had perfected that we may be more like Jesus. God is dismantling our illusions of happiness that our lives may bear the fruit of Jesus' righteousness, his holiness, his goodness, his beauty, and that really is the life that matters. This is the good that God is after in us, and he will not stop. Nor is this something that we can opt out of. Our God is relentless because of his love for his children. And so will we trust him? We see this is the reorienting that we've got to do in, in the wilderness of suffering so we don't grow weary and faint-hearted. We reorient ourselves. My father loves me. I'm his child. And we reorient ourselves, reorient ourselves to the Father's end. He is working for my good, and he will not stop. So I will trust him. But there's one other thing that our author tells us, encourages us with, that we might reorient ourselves to in our, in our trials, our sufferings, and that is to the Father's Son to the Father's Son, and that's Jesus. And this is actually where our reading began, verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, I was lost in the, in the wilderness out at the COC. Um, I heard the river, and it was the river that guided me out. But Jesus is the river for us in our suffering who leads us through we need to understand he's the present river. The river, the one that is always with us through the Holy Spirit. So we're not on our own. But our Lord is with us telling us, I know. I know what it's like to suffer. And he knows what it's like to shed his blood in suffering. But he's with us to strengthen us. If Jesus doesn't save us from the trial, then he will sustain us. Whatever hardship, whatever trial, whatever wilderness suffering that you are going through right now, where perhaps it feels um, 
as though God has abandoned you, you're lost, you're alone. Listen and and receive um, from Hebrews about the one who is with you, where you are right now. From Hebrews 2. It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 5, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. In being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This is the one who's with you. He knows what it is to suffer. And his suffering has led to the greatest good possible, that of our salvation, knowing the living God becoming his sons and daughters. Whatever discipline of suffering you may be enduring right now, and we all, we all go through this. It comes from the heart of a good father who is at work in that. So if you're, if you're sick or you're overwhelmed, well, Christian, ask him for healing. Ask him for deliverance. Ask him to reveal any sin and repent of it. But ask the Lord to teach you what it is he is doing. What it is he wants to share with you of himself. His holy character and righteousness. How, is, how Father, are you making me more like yourself here? Ask him and trust him. Your heavenly father has begun a good work in you and he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. He will cause all things to work together for for your good, even your sufferings. My son, my daughter, the Lord says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Press into him. Lean into him. Trust him. Amen.